kind of want to avoid taking rogue, but I don't think I can. Rogue one or ranger one? Uh, yeah, that was the other thing I told Angela. I was like, look, I would rather try the new ranger, but like if that opens the floodgates of unearthed arcana, I'm happy to oh, skip God. ranger. Yeah. Live from the Mundangerous High Roller Room in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 61 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about how to use the artifact that's the bane of well-planned games everywhere, the deck of many things. But first, the party draws its own hand in the Morning Glory campaign, and later, the gambler knows when to hold him, and more importantly, knows when to fold him in the character creation forge. So before we do that, we want to talk about the Revised Ranger. And I got a chance to actually play the Revised Ranger last week, which was really exciting. Uh, One of our listeners, Mark Blaine, invited me to play in a Princess Bride one-shot, which gave me the chance to try it out at level 12. I played a Deep Stalker. Which is basically the Drist Doerden version of the new Ranger. It is very Drizzty, yeah. (laughs) Drizztish. Drizzt? Yeah. (laughs) So tell us about this one shot. Okay, so it was kind of cool. We started out in prison and then made our way through a maze, uh, ran into Billy Crystal's character who had been captured by Humperdinck. His wife was being held hostage and Humperdinck was doing these like magical experiments. Well, turns out after we tracked Billy Crystal's wife into the Swamp of Sorrows. Uh, Miracle Max's wife. Sorry, Miracle Max's wife. Into the fire swamp. The Swamp of Fire, that one. Yeah, whatever it is. (laughs) You could tell I did not watch Princess Bride <laughs> right before it. I did avoid uh, we avoided quicksand and all the the fire. The ROUSs. Well, we ran into the ROUSs. Okay. Uh, or did they run into you? Oh, uh, they ran into us. Yeah. In the lair of a black dragon. There are black dragons in the fire swamp. Wesley was totally wrong. You cannot build a house there and live peacefully. So here's the thing. All right, is Humperdinck <laughs> was killed. Humperdinck by the black dragon. Oh, well, okay. Black dragons are good. Who shape changed and then continued to act as him. Oh, I dig it. Yeah, so yeah. it was totally like that sort of thing, right? So then we had to kill the black dragon to rescue Miracle Max's wife. Right. Even if she was dead, though, like he could bring her back. Well, I mean, depends how long she's been dead, right? <laughs> but it was cool because we ran it over roll 20 and Mark did some really cool things that you can't do at a normal table that worked really well in roll 20. Basically because uh, roll 20 has dynamic lighting. So when you move your mini around the map, it changes your like the fog of war moves right. with you mm-hmm. right so like Baldur's gate exactly so the maze for example we literally got lost on the map and had to keep moving our tokens around to spot uh, were you guys thing. not at home using graph paper to uh, figure out where you were well we didn't realize we were in a maze <laughs> <laughs> until about halfway through and then there were teleporters it was it was pretty amusing and i thought it was cool because it was kind of a, a neat challenge it, just as we got frustrated uh we ran into a gelatinous cube who caught us by surprise. Uh, And as we ran from that, we discovered uh, the trick of the teleportation within the maze. And that's how we got out. And then what was really neat was when we fought the black dragon, we did it in the dark. Oh. Which I think was frustrating for some of the players who didn't have dark vision. But as a deep stalker, I had (laughs) great dark vision. (laughs) (laughs) It was basically built for you. Well, yeah, but uh, dragons have blind sense, so it wasn't really that advantageous. Uh, But anyway, so... What was cool was as, you know, the players had a general idea, like where my character is here on the map and I can see like just the area that I'm in. Right. Um, And as they moved around the map, they were like, okay, I will move in this direction. I will move in this direction. And then it was like, oh, crap, as they finally got to the dragon mini on the map and it was like, like bumping into it yeah, like literally by bumping into it it was like uh i attack it <laughs> which you can't do at a normal table right there's no way to really hide that from right. players so uh, that was really fun to like be a part of so from a mechanics perspective what were your favorite enemy and greater favorite enemy uh humanoids because humanoids Obviously, are broken right um, and my greater favorite enemy was giants. Mm. Look, if I ran into Andre the Giant, all right, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't taking any chances. You're supposed to recruit him to your side. Honestly, I just counted and rolled randomly because uh-huh. I was like, I don't want to try and metagame this or whatever. I was and why would you fun. pick dragons? Like, 
because there's, there's no dragons. There's no dragons, dragons Bride, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's screeching eels. Those are kind of similar. So anyway, it was a blast. We had fun, and it was a good chance to test the ranger because we had some sneaky bits. We had some you know group combat bits, and then we had one big enemy to kind of take down. Mm-hmm. Interesting note, Humperdinck himself, I think, would have been statted as a ranger. If you recall, he can track a falcon on a cloudy day, which, well, that's tough. Yeah, I'll buy that. Uh, he also could have been an eagle barbarian, eagle totem. <laughs> right, probably. Like, he just saw it really far away. <laughs> Actually, honestly, Rogue One, right. expertise and perception. Yeah. <laughs> Which naturally is what I did. I took one level of Rogue <laughs> of and course. then 11 levels of Deep Stalker. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the Ranger itself. You cover it pretty in depth uh, in, in a blog post, which I don't know, I got like halfway through it. Yeah, it was a lot of words, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's up on mundangerous.com if you're interested in reading the whole breakdown ability by ability. The key takeaways for the Revised Ranger is they've clearly heard the feedback that it's underpowered in combat. Uh, And so they've taken steps to try and power that up. So, um, for example, they've super front-loaded it. You now get advantage on initiative at level 1. And you get advantage on attacks against creatures that haven't acted yet in the first round of combat. So you're going to lead off your first attack. You're likely to be the first one to go, and you're also going to get advantage on the attack roll. Which makes it super dippable. That's my concern. I I mean, that's my main takeaway is that, like, it looks pretty good as a single class, but it looks super broken if you're just taking one or two or three levels. Yeah, there are a lot of things in here that happen in the first three levels that are great for a lot of different characters. Yeah. I mean, I could see a paladin being like, I'm, I always have terrible dexterity, but one level of ranger gets me advantage on all those initiative checks, and now I don't have to go last always. Uh, and you get your favorite enemy, so it's super easy to track things. Great for a vengeance paladin. Yeah. Also, that's a weird thing with favorite enemy, is it's now there's... Um, you lose one choice, but you get a damage boost uh, against your favorite enemy. And humanoids, which you used to pick two subtypes are now just one blanket choice so everyone will be taking humanoid like rangers really good at killing people and orcs and goblins and that type yeah pretty much everything you face at low levels yeah yeah you're just getting a plus two damage boost which is fine i mean that's not gonna upset and lots the game. of lots of times it's something that <laughs> that you're attacking at high levels too yeah right the mage right <laughs> <laughs> the bbeg warlord right <laughs> uh, but at level six, that that jumps to a plus four. You pick another favorite enemy from the sort of the higher level enemy groups, so like giants and dragons and that sort of thing. You keep basically all of your wilderness exploration tier abilities, and you get a bunch of combat abilities, which is good. I think the hunter now is really competitive at a straight twenty. They didn't fix some of the complaints about the class. The capstone at level twenty is sort of weak. At level 8, you get half of the cunning action, and then at level 14, you keep Vanish, which was the other half. Yeah. Uh, they changed Hide in Plain Sight, so it's now a little more useful in combat. You mean useful at all, anytime? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. The knock on it, though, is that like it's not really hiding in plain sight the way it used to be. It's more just like hiding better when you can hide. Yeah. Uh, and then Primeval Awareness got... That was sort of the Ranger's danger radar... Uh, that used to work within like a mile to six mile radius, depending on what you were finding. And it kind of told you what was in the area around you. Um, now it's super targeted to your favorite enemies, but it's like a radar. <laughs> so it tells you right, exactly yeah. where they are. Uh, My favorite thing is you pick humanoids. And do it You're in, in a city. city yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Agreed. <laughs> it's kind of what it is. You know, it's like, I like it. And this is what I talked about when in the blog post was like, it really helps with that ambush counter ambush kind of flavor of the ranger Mm -hmm. because now you see everything coming right you spend a minute you know everything that's in the area around you and you can plan accordingly and the issues that i have with it i think really are just boiled down to issues with having humanoids as one of your favorite enemies yeah i yeah people yeah (laughs) and it it used to apply much more broadly Mm -hmm. which i could see the appeal of even though it it gave you less information so that one i think is kind of a wash in terms of power it's just swapping it and people who liked it before and found it useful are going to be disappointed deep stalker is now an archetype or sorry conclave oh right cool name better flavor i'm fine with that uh so yeah basically deep stalker is is just Orden. hunter 
remains the same as the ranger subclass that had the same name. That's basically Aragorn. Yep. And Beastmaster is Tarzan or the actual Beastmaster. The Beastmaster. Yeah. Dar. Yeah. So Deepstalker is cool. It plays around in the darkness a lot. So you get an extra attack on the first round of combat, which is neat. But then you get to use your hide ability even when other creatures have dark vision. Right. So like Which if is, you're if you're in the dark and trying to hide from a creature with dark vision, you normally couldn't. But this says if you meet the other conditions, dark vision doesn't doesn't harm you. Right. Great, except when the dragon has blind sense. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know. But it also gives you either dark vision to ninety feet or plus thirty to your existing dark vision. Mm-hmm. Meaning if you're of any race that can see in the dark, you can now see better than everyone else in your race. Mm-hmm. Which again, ambushing, counter ambushing that sort of thing you avoid threats extremely well and you see them very far so i love that flavor i think that's really really cool it also gets to re-roll an attack that you've missed and there's i noted some wonkiness with the wording you can mm, yeah. trade in offhand attacks for mainhand so, yeah it's not really re-roll right it's if you miss you can make another you can attack. make another attack yeah, yeah. it so, doesn't specify with what weapon right which is cool if it's like a thrown attack right i get it all right well i don't necessarily have another hand axe to throw so now i can make another attack right but it's super weird when that's like the butt end of your pole arm for a d4 damage and now you're using the blade of your glaive now it is called flurry right so i can see that the the intent is that you're attacking with the butt so end you miss things. and so you just you know fling the other end of your pole arm into the attack and just make it quickly right while, while they're dodging right. i get that mechanically speaking though you, you get to where you're like well i guess maybe i'll close my eyes with the butt of, end of my pole yeah. i hope i miss and then i can make an extra attack with my actual real weapon that has like fire on it yeah i could see the flavor of it either way i just don't like the sloppiness of the mechanic yeah so i, I don't know we'll see where it goes i don't think it's gonna break anything i just think it's weird Beastmaster. This one needed the most work, and it got the most work. Definitely got work. One of the big complaints about the Beastmaster was that your animal companion died too much. It's not going to happen anymore. No. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just play an animal companion? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's. I was joking about that on Twitter, right? Like, be a ranger, get an ape companion, give all of his ability score increases to intelligence, so he becomes like a normal, (laughs) above average, above human average sentient ape kill off that pesky ranger who keeps following you around start taking levels of ranger (laughs) initiate planet of the apes (laughs) so yeah you get normal hit dice as you scale your hp so that will scale in line as a as a normal creature uh you also get proficiency bonus to a bunch of stuff so your ac will scale you get proficiency in all saves you gain proficiency Uh, you being the animal companion the animal companion right which is me the ape (laughs) and it's basically everything that the ranger does because beastmaster doesn't get extra attack like the other rangers right It, it gets its extra attack through the animal companion right so it's cool like it's super tied now where you used to have like shared spells and those sorts of things that gave you some increased utility through different animal companion choices now your animal companion is basically just for combat uh and you have a finite list of choices there no flying i guess there is a burrowing one but like you know there's an ape and a mule so it's not quite hitting all the flavor of the ranger right now yeah that said i think from level one to 20 if you're playing a straight ranger all of these are pretty cool implementations now the beastmaster still has some problems uh it can't overcome damage resistance ever yeah the beast can't Mm -hmm. um the animal companion which is which is all of your attacks mostly that's the majority of your combat effectiveness is tied mm. to that. Yeah. So if you thought you were going to roll into combat against the Tarasque with your faithful, you know, wolf or whatever, black bear, now an option, uh, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to leave Fluffy on the sidelines because yeah. he can't hurt the Tarasque at all. Also, you're probably going to stand on the sidelines because you get one attack. <laughs> yeah. There's also some concern about the archer becoming super powerful mm-hmm. with with this ranger because of the advantage on the first round of combat you'll get sharpshooter super often i'm a little skeptical on how much that matters because archer is so unsatisfying to play well and of course you're only shooting once the big concern is going to be for multi-classing it's way too front-loaded and a quick dip in it is just crazy powerful right too many other classes yeah the beast scales on 
uh, character level, not class level. Not ranger level. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you could be a level 17 fighter with a fully kitted beast. Fully kitted? I mean, you won't have advantage on saving throws, but it'll still be fully scaled. Yeah. And it'll have fighter ability score increase. Right. Which is which another is, yeah, weird thing. Yeah, great thing to look at. Yeah. I don't like how the Beastmaster sort of puts all of the ranger goodies into the beast basket, because then, you know, if your beast does die, which at mid-levels is more much more likely to happen than at later levels... If you can't bring it back, because it takes eight hours and, you know, you've got to go through this ritual and you could always get a stick or DM, you, you just can't really do anything until the beast is back, right? You're just like a guy who can hit once. And... Yeah, with advantage. <laughs> <laughs> you can also cast some lousy ranger spells because spellcasting yep. didn't get fixed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still think Hunter's Mark is in a weird spot, you know? It's like, is that really a spell? But whatever. I, You know, it's an improvement for sure. So it's not perfect. But it's uh, certainly getting there. It's a better iteration. Yeah. If they fix the multi-classing component, I'd be happy if this were the ranger going forward. Yeah. I think there are certainly other classes and subclasses where we say, eh, it's not amazing, but it's fine and you can play it and not feel like you're not contributing to the party. Right. Uh, Also on the downside, there is no ability called Ambuscade. Which is a shame. Yeah. Best named ability of all Unearthed Arcana, in my opinion. Agreed. All right. So shall we move on to Morning Glory? Right, so Morning Glory is our three-year, 80-session, 5e game set in Eberron. Uh, the party is nearing the end of the campaign. They're around level 18, and they are basically trying to figure out how to destroy a fiendish overlord, a, a horrible demonic abomination of deific power. So they have everything they need to create an apparatus that can enable them to kill an immortal being. They just need the true name of the one they want to kill. So they need the true name of the fiendish overlord, Belshalor, the shadow in the flame. The darkness that infects the entire religion of the silver flame, which Brand has learned. Is Allegedly. <laughs> you have learned the heresy is true. You did some research at the library. Uh, you can't prove I know that. <laughs> Brand did learn that the silver flame is actually just a small part of the Kalok Shash, the energy field created by the martyrdom of the entire Kuwadl race that binds all of the fiendish overlords deep beneath the ground in Kyber. So... Perhaps this is not just about Belshalor in the end. So here's the thing, though. If I know my pal Belshalor, I feel like he's not letting anybody else out. Huh. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like, you know, <laughs> he's in the selfish end of the spectrum, not the, you know, rampant chaos end. So. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. So, <laughs> so in that regard, I'm not too worried. <laughs> so the party is in possession of the Book of Vile Darkness, which they know is supposed to contain the true names of fiends. But since it can only be opened by an evil creature, they've had to find one. Strangely enough, Brand, it turns out, is not evil. Proven. (laughs) But one has offered to help them. Then that is the bound book imp behemoth, who has been kind of a reluctant advisor and literal left hand to the party. Yeah, you could say that. (laughs) Reluctant. So the party decides that they will finally take Behemoth up on his offer to open the book. But of course, him being a devil, he wants to strike a bargain first. They want a name out of the book. He wants a name out of the book. And I believe the way you guys bargained it was you said, we'll give you a name from the book. And then out of character, we're like, but we can give him like a random name, right? Yeah. Right? Like, we'll give him a name of like someone who doesn't really matter. Right. <laughs> and Behemoth seemed pretty eager. He was like, yeah, yeah, I like that. You get a name, I get a name. Okay, let's do this. Yeah, I saw American Pie too. I know how that turns out. <laughs> they retreat to the wilderness because for some reason they didn't want to cause collateral damage, which was nice. It was nice of you guys. I thought that was growth. Character growth. Yeah. Behemoth opens the book and begins leafing through it. And the party can tell that there's lots of information about creating undead, undead grafts, ways to conduct torture, how to destroy souls, treatises on effective tyranny. Because, you know, only lawful characters are really going to commit things to, to <laughs> right, writing, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> writing <Yeah>. a book. <laughs> and there are, of course, instructions on fiend binding. But then everyone makes a constitution save. Those who fail take 24d10 necrotic damage. Those who succeed take half. Cool, Ishan, thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> everyone passes out. And then they wake up in a featureless room made of an unidentifiable stone that they are unable to affect in any way. And the only thing in the room is a pedestal with a deck of cards sitting on top of it. When someone finally approaches the deck and attempts to pick it up, 
they all fly off in every direction through the walls, except for one card that sticks to the wall, face down, and a door appears. Through some experimentation, the party determines that the only way to open this door is to draw the card. We'll find out what happens later in the episode. So, we knew that this was the deck of many things. Yes, he did. Because we are experienced players, <laughs> and knew that we were of sufficient level, and that Ishan has a propensity for always including the deck of many things in his campaign. That is correct. So, what is the deck of many things, Ishan? It's just the worst thing to happen to D&D. <laughs> or the best. best? Yeah. It's the best thing to happen to games when you're 14. Right. It's an artifact that comes from way back in the day. It's a Greyhawk artifact that has been in every version of the Dungeon Master's Guide. So it's Gary Kykax's personal pet. <laughs> right. If you think Tomb of Horrors is like kind of random and just screws with players, the deck of many things is literally the only thing that it does. Right. So it's it's always presented as a deck of cards, and it's usually either 13 or 22 cards because that's a combination of the count of the face cards in your traditional playing card deck and the jokers. More powerful versions of the deck have more cards. Yeah, 22 cards. And then the idea is that players choose to draw. The idea is that players, being idiots, <laughs> right, choose to draw cards from the deck, and then when they draw a card, it issues some effect. Sometimes it's a boon. Often it's a bane. Sometimes it's powerful enough to just ruin your campaign. Right. So the player announces, I want to draw however many cards. It's usually between one and three. And then they are bound right. to do it. They draw, a thing happens. They draw, a thing happens. If they took three, I mean, that's on them. <laughs> right. For example, in second edition, there was a card called Skull. As you may be able to guess, it's a bad card. An avatar of death appears, and the player who drew the card has to defeat it in single combat. If they lose, if they die, they're just destroyed forever and can never be brought back to life. Yeah. You know, whatever. Right. <laughs> the thing is, this isn't tied to a level. So right. you could be fighting death at any level, and that's sort of what makes us a wonky introduction to your campaign, is like, how do you place the difficulty of card draws on players is sixth level too early is 12th level too early i i have no idea right at what level are you equipped to fight death right yeah <laughs> or i mean like at what level are you equipped to draw balance mm -hmm. which just flips your alignment which if you're a fifth edition player that may sound like oh, okay that's complicated but you know it could take a character that is good and now they are evil and how do they fit in a party and that certainly causes problems for a game that is well planned right or from prior editions it was like <laughs> oh you're a paladin oh, get <laughs> right <laughs> now you've fallen and you don't get any cool awesome stuff no yeah you're, you're just, just a fighter, a fighter. Now. <laughs> with charisma <laughs> these are the kinds of effects that you see in the deck of many things something that can completely eliminate an entire character from the game just so you don't think this is the wonkiness of previous editions, right? We, we can pull the 5e examples too. Yeah. Like the sun gives you 50,000 XP and a random wondrous item, which I know nobody has those tables memorized. 50,000 XP takes you from 19 to 20. It, it can reasonably give you three or four levels mm -hmm. at a mid-level. Which now screws up the challenge rating of everything Every a, a GM has to do. Yeah, yep. it's, it's ridiculous. And, and even just giving one player like just one extra level feels really weird mm -hmm. right especially when for the most part everyone is leveling up at the same rate yeah, yeah. yeah. or something like talon every magic item you have disintegrates and all your artifacts disappear get <laughs> so let's hope that the macguffin artifact that the party needed to complete the quest wasn't being held by that character <laughs> right yeah and let's <laughs> hope that macguffin was in fact an artifact at least <laughs> right oh players um if you're drawing from the deck of many things, take all your artifacts and give it to someone who is not currently drawing. Right. Be smart about this. Or, of course, look at the moon card. This is a boon, but it can still ruin your campaign. You get 1d3 wishes. Yeah. Uh, and if you think giving players three wishes is not going to completely ruin it, like, even if they're well-worded wishes, like if you give them what they want, your campaign is probably over. If you attempt to undermine what they're wishing for you're gonna have to screw your campaign over so hard anyway that like now the players are taken completely out of whatever story you were doing and they're now fighting wish effects yeah and that's like a straightforward way to ruin a campaign <laughs> there's way more exotic ways yeah remember you got 22 cards right <laughs> so 
if it's so ridiculous, why does this thing even exist? Okay, so serious answer to ruin your campaign. Mm-hmm. It's it's a way of signing off, right? It, it's a way of saying, cool, we've gotten as far as we can go. Now let's just leave it in tatters. Yeah, it's a, a ruin the dress after a wedding. <laughs> right, exactly. Remember that one woman did drown doing that, so... Well, you know, more than one character has drowned from the deck of many things, so it's fitting. Or been eternally trapped in a void. Or the dungeon, the donjon. Yeah, there are multiple cards that just trap your soul for eternity, so... Goodbye, PC. It's also a way to tempt those high-level characters, because, you know, once you hit max level, you stop leveling. Yeah. What else can you do? Right. Tempt fate, you know, because actually some of these effects are things that could be remedied by characters that are high level enough, that are powerful enough, assuming that they're not the ones getting screwed. And if you do have players who've been in D&D for, you know, decades, I will say it at the end of a campaign when you know it's going to be over anyway, or at very high levels, players get super excited when they see the deck. It's kind of a badge of honor thing. Yeah, like I made it through the deck. Or or I ruined my character yeah. in the deck, you know? Everyone's got that story about that character they lost. Right, yeah. right. Usually it was like the character that started at 15th level and yeah. lost at 16th level because, <laughs> you know, that's how D&D works. Started at 12th, made it to 15th because they drew the red card, right. and then lost. Right. <laughs> there are other reasons, though, or reasonable reasons. Like, like we used it in Morning Glory, right? It was a way to uh, test the party's strength metal worth frankly we used a version of it well true we'll get to that and then the other thing and i really like this idea is use it to simulate the whimsy fickleness dispassion or insanity of very powerful creatures like deities and and those sorts of things right the the deck i always think of as an avatar of chaos itself chaos incarnate and (laughs) A smart group, when it comes up against that, will say, I think we don't want to mess with that. Right. But, you know, if it's forced upon you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I just love the idea of, like, this chaotic creature who, instead of making attacks in the conventional sense, just throws cards at the players randomly. They have to deal with those effects. And then eventually he just leaves and leaves behind the (laughs) remainder of the deck. So it's like, you've probably already dealt with some negative ones. You know the deck is kind of weighted towards positives, and he's still tempting you, and, and like you're still going to sow chaos, even though he's not there. I just, I love that idea. Yeah, do my work for me. Right. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's weighted in your favor now. Think of all that awesome stuff that's in there. Will you draw from it? Okay, so, spoiler, we used it and didn't ruin our campaign. So, how do you do that, Ishan? Cheating. Yeah, that helps. Yeah. So you can use an an actual deck, right? Uh, Usually when you use the deck of many things, you have playing cards or tarot cards or something like that. Yeah. You use the face cards and the jokers, and then each face card is tied to one of the named cards of the deck. So you just sort of look up up the matching uh, deck of many things card on the table. Exactly. You could just get several decks of cards, you know, and create your own quote-unquote deck of many things that is rigged so that the cards that do ruin a game or will ruin your campaign just aren't in there yeah i mean the key to this is you only ever want to show one card at a time you want to shuffle it after every draw and you never show the deck to the players (laughs) right (laughs) because you'll totally ruin the illusion if they see right if they weren't up against like a real deck they're not going to feel like they accomplished anything right yeah and they might flip the table (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so when you're done with it uh, put it in your pocket. Don't ever let them touch it. Right. The other thing you can do is just mellow out the deck. Take away the crazy highs and crazy lows. There's no more wish. <laughs> There's no more void. Yeah, there are a lot of different versions of the deck of many things where people have taken the standard effects and sort of uh, polished off the edges so that it, they're manageable within a campaign. So, like, you know, instead of losing all of your magic items, you lose a random magic item, which right. is still really bad. Right. But isn't going to leave your, you know, 17th level character naked and defenseless. In tears. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It also avoids situations like um, the donjon card, which the PC just disappears and is locked away in a dungeon somewhere. Could be anywhere in the multiverse. Mm-hmm. 
how do you go forward from there? Like, unless they're next door and you can hear them screaming, what do you do? Right. Like, it has to become now a new quest for the party. Exactly. But what if they were doing something else that was time sensitive? Right, like, right. Like, you got to move on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, so maybe they end up in an actual dungeon somewhere that the party is aware of. Right. Or somewhere where they can still communicate. <laughs> right. You can also work it into the storyline, which is what we did in Morning Glory. And and it's a thing, like Shane said, that I do in every one of my campaigns. I figure out some way to, to work in the deck as basically a dungeon. So the party is inside this room and there's a card on the wall and they realize they need to draw the card, suffer the effects, and then the door will open. So they're in a maze of doors and rooms and each one is locked with a single card from the deck that needs to be drawn by somebody. So they're standing around trying to figure out, okay, who's going to draw this card? Who's going to draw that card? Sometimes there are several doors to choose from and sometimes there's only one and you know that you have to draw the next one. So the way that I set it up, there was a general order to the rooms that they had to enter like the maze was developed in a way where they could make choices but those choices then branched back together so there were like a series of cards they would have had to have drawn before they got to other ones which sort of helped me plan out what would actually happen Mm -hmm. so here's what happened the first card was balance as we talked about before that used to be flipping alignment in this case it gave plus two to a character's lowest stat and minus two to their highest stat which is infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't ruin a character, but it kind of sucks. It sucks, yeah. yeah. Who drew that one? Who went first? It wasn't Kallik, because only good things happened to Kallik. It wasn't you. Uh-uh. Was it Bahar? I think it was Bastion, actually. Could have been Bastion. I think it was Bastion. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he, like, he lost two to Dexterity, and he gained two to Intelligence. Which... <laughs> was an improvement for the party it worked out really well (laughs) and then inside that room there were tapestries and and paintings of people being tortured self-flagellation things like that the next room was locked with the gem card which i think you drew that actually i did yeah i said pick jewelry or gem Uh, it doesn't really matter which one you pick you either get 25 pieces of jewelry each worth about a two thousand gold pieces or 50 gems each worth about a thousand gold pieces and they pop out over the course of a few minutes like out of the card yeah yeah and then inside that room there was piles of gold everywhere and zorns and rust monsters hiding in the gold and the the temptation was like oh look lots of gold you guys are savvy enough where you're like well don't touch the gold yeah no (laughs) No, nobody touched anything deck of cards not letting that happen (laughs) Uh, this was actually important for Bran, though, because that was like 50,000 gold that he then immediately, well, I mean, as soon as we got out of here, uh, he used to fund a like anti-Lauren Davis underground yeah. movement in Thrain, basically in preparation for the attack that was coming to try and salvage some level of order in the country. I still have an email where like the first line is, okay, I've got 50,000 gold. Here's how I waste it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The next card was Jester. That's usually one of those cards where you get a bunch of XP. So whoever drew it, I just said gain a level. You guys were level 19, actually, at this point. So difference between 19 and 20, eh, not huge. There are multiple cards where you can gain enough XP in the deck to actually gain a level. So I set contingencies. If a character hadn't already gained a level, then they gain a level. If they had already gained a level, then they get a feat or an ability score increase. Subject to the normal ones, you know, they can't go higher than 20. It was Bahar. He gained a level. He went to level 20. And then Atasha's hideous laughter hit everyone, uh, and each failed save gave one level of exhaustion. So the trick was in each room, there was something going on relevant to the card that was drawn that was basically trying to wear the party down. Because I didn't want every single... I didn't want 22 combats. Right, right. And, you know, the jester, Tasha's hideous laughter. There you go. The next card was the knight which traditionally gives you a level four fighter who serves you willingly. Right. And this was drawn by Emery. Yes. The bard. <laughs> so she ended up with a servant who actually, it turns out, was Caius Irwinarn III. Non-vampire. Right. The, <laughs> king, the king of Karnath who was actually replaced by his vampire grandfather. Right. Right. So solves that little problem with, with a power vacuum in Karnath. Right. <laughs> And he was actually kitted out with some nice gear, so he was actually able to help and not die. Because I did, I made him level four. Yeah, I don't remember him playing a big role after that. He was not very bright. 
Oh, was, that was right. Thing. He was yeah. mostly like, yeah, he was the traditional uh, foppish royalty. Oh, uh, right. Who he had been like sent away to an estate. Like he was on a farm upstate. Yeah, basically. Nice. Yeah. So then we had the comet, which was drawn by Calic. <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh, he had to fight a monster, and then he gained a level. Right. There was no monster present. So from then on, every time a card was drawn and a door opened, he was basically going, wait, 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 wait. Hold yeah. on. Is there a monster in here? Let me kill it alone. Right. <laughs> and then there was a weird glowing meteorite that was giving off, uh, well, levels of exhaustion as well. Yeah. Yeah. Charming. The next card was Skull. Usually this is the card that summons an avatar of death. However, this card, again, made the entire party... Pass out. Yeah. <laughs> Deus Ex Machina! Yeah, so it was a flashback, and we were elves. You were Aranol elves, all with your death masks painted on your face. Right. And when you come to, you are... You have your same abilities, but you, you know that you are Aranol elves. You've always been Aranol elves, and you are riding on the backs of dragons high above the ocean, flying from Aranol uh, to the northern reaches of what some part of your brain knows will someday be the Lazar Principalities. And what were we going to do? You were on a sacred mission to destroy the House of Vol, who have created an abomination that is a hybrid of dragon and elf. So the, the elves and dragons had been at war for millennia, like 40,000 years. Hmm. According to Eberron lore, but about 3,000 years ago, and the party knows this now because they are these people. Right. So they know, like, when in history this is occurring. They joined forces one time. Oh, right. Because they had to put this abomination out. Right. right. Like, mixing our blood? That's gross. Yeah. Like, the only thing worse than dragons is elfish dragons. <laughs> the only thing worse than elves is dragony elves. That's right. <laughs> so it's very strange, but riding on the backs of dragons, uh, approach uh, an island in the cold north, and they leap off the backs of these dragons and fall several thousand feet to the ground. Their feather fall spells kick in, and instead of floating gently, they hit the ground, which then shatters because all of their inertia is directed into the ground instead of their bodies. Yeah, it's a it's a cool scene. <laughs> And then quickly, like as other, they're part of one party and they have a specific mission. Other elves are falling from the skies and landing and dispersing and basically killing all of these other elves whom the party notices have a very strange dragon mark. Yeah, so this is the mark of death. Right, that right. Lou had noticed in the prophetic observatory. And I believe our mission was to kill Aranda's Vol, right? That's exactly what it was, to infiltrate deep uh, within the House of Vol's complex find her, stop the ritual where they were trying to awaken the full power of her dragon mark. And so the the party infiltrates inside, uh, is able to quickly dispatch trolls and other like half dragon abominations that are that are in their way. And they finally make it to the ritual room where <laughs> it turns out the mark of death gives some ability to control undead. And so there is a a giant night crawler which is an old school creature uh, from older editions that is created basically of shadow stuff. It's a very large worm. Yeah, a, a worm made of shadow stuff. It's kind of like uh, the gross aberrant version of a, of a high-level nightmare. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there are dragons, just dragons. Uh, it's a giant scrum of dragons and half dragons and elves with death masks. And the, the party is, is battling the nightcrawler and... A green dragon who apparently is the sire of Aranda's Vol. Her dad. You killed her dad. Yeah. I think we killed her too. Actually, what happened is you killed her dad, the green dragon, um, and you took out the nightcrawler. And as you approach the uh, ritual, right, some sort of her mother is, is doing some sort of painful ritual um, to her back where like her massive dragon mark is sort of pulsing and glowing with light. Uh, she explodes into necrotic just a wave of necrotic energy yeah like i said and you guys all pass you all, you, you all pass out again yeah we killed her. and then wake up as uh liches yeah so we killed her yeah and end up becoming becoming her undead servants right. but you get little flashbacks throughout the next three thousand years of her building in an empire of a religious empire mm -hmm. of the blood of all mm -hmm. and infiltrating her way into karnath and then into and, <laughs> and, and also zendrick yes 
little by little. So now we've got some historical context for the next four days of our mission. Uh, rogue means a rogue comes to kill you. Uh, you're betrayed by somebody. Yes. I decided that whoever drew that, uh, Caius, the knight, would actually look for an opportunity to stab that person in the back, if it ever showed up. I don't think it ever actually showed up. The other option, if, if Caius was dead, was that Calix aura, his uh, paladin aura, would actually like flip, and it would give them a penalty to uh-huh. saving throws instead of a bonus. Yeah, interesting. And there were some slicing blades in there, a la the penitent man shall pass from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Very nice. Yeah. Sun was the next card. If they hadn't already gained a level, they got to gain a level. Calic gained a level. Sun is probably the most powerful card in in the deck, on the good end anyway. Uh, he also got a, a feat or an ability score improvement, so I believe he picked a feat. You picked the next card, the Fates, which allows you to undo one awful thing. That's just sort of the normal standard Fate card that works out really well. So you just sort of kept that in your back pocket. I don't think I ever used that. Oh, no, you did. I can't wait to find out how. <laughs> Did I use it in this room? Yeah. Oh, I used oh, yeah. it in... Oh, that's right. Uh-huh. Now I remember. Yeah, okay. now you remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that opens you into an observatory. The next card was Moon, which Lou drew. It gave only one wish. It needed to be used within the next real 10 minutes. So I set a timer, uh, laid it on the table and said, you have 10 minutes to come up with a wish, write it down. Also, there was a werewolf in the room, which uh, that might have been what Calic dispatched very quickly. <laughs> Susie, who plays Lou, the crazy aberrant warlock, used her wish to make sure that from now on, when Lou tried to convince anyone to join her cult, that they would actually listen. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I gave her permanent glibness when talking about this, so she couldn't roll less than a 15 on her persuasion. (laughs) The worst part of that was that she then immediately tried to recruit the party. Yeah. And we all had to consider it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you didn't have to join. Right. You just had to hear her out. <laughs> That's really, I think, the best way that, that could have worked out. If you had gotten the wish, I, I know it would have been rules lawyered for 10 full minutes. I don't think that's true. No? When I actually cast wish in the game, I didn't rules, rules lawyer it. I threw myself upon your mercy. Yeah, but you didn't do that until the game was basically about over and you knew that you never had an opportunity to cast wish again. I, I mean, I would have done something for the good of Thrain because I thought about it when she was doing it. And oh. what I ended up spending my gold on, I would have spent my wish on. Well, that's nice of you. Because I know how to metagame wish, <laughs> which is you do things that are good for story purposes and not for mechanical purposes. And do something selfless, right? Right. Uh, I guess I could let that slide. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if Calic only drew good cards, Emery, for the most part, only drew bad cards. So bad. She's, she's the worst luck. She drew uh, Uriel. The Medusa card that gives a minus three to saving throws, I believe. I just made this a minus two because that's more usable. And there's a basilisk in there, which you could tell because there was a stone sculpture garden. Oh, we found the garden before we found the basilisk. Right. Oh, that was You're nice. like, uh, I think there's a basilisk here. Right. <laughs> the next card, you drew talons. Before we began the session, I made everybody write down their attuned items and write down who was carrying cube. So you drew this when you were not carrying cube. Are you sure? No, actually, no, no I, I think was. you were. Yeah, you were carrying cube. I carried cube by default as right. a champion's belt, a championship belt around my right. waist. WWE belt. Yes. Uh, so talons, you lose all magic items, and cube, being an artifact, disappears. And I think you said, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> Use the fates. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you actually said, it doesn't happen. I was like, yeah. no, no, it does. That's what the card does. You know, it doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> And I think you threw the face card at Oh, I definitely threw the face card at you. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And inside there was a rookery. The next card was Donjon. Dungeon? No, it's pronounced Donjon. You think so? It is, yeah. (laughs) Because a Donjon is not a dungeon. It's it's like the inner keep. I believe it's pronounced Don Juan. Oh, of course. Who got that one? It was Bastion, wasn't it? it? I think it was Bastion, Bastion. Yeah. Cameron got screwed over a lot yeah yeah they were imprisoned without any items however as opposed to the normal donjon card i had it so that they could still speak through the card so they could still interact with everybody else they could stay in the game without just sort of being bored and and not existing anymore right but he was actually imprisoned inside this contraption elsewhere yeah Yeah. so we didn't know that at the time but we came to find out yes eventually oh right by the way he's still here right 
The next card was key. That gave an improved magic item. I actually determined an improvement to one magic item that each person was carrying because everyone basically had their end game gear. So I just sort of picked like their favorite thing and made it a little bit better. And, you know, whoever got this, I think it was Emery actually got this one. That sounds about right. Yeah. It upgraded her bow to a plus three, which was nice. Next card was the void, which usually just makes you disappear and you're gone forever. Or I think you're imprisoned, actually, is what usually happens. Yeah. And that becomes a quest in and of itself. Right. In this case, their mind was sucked out of their body and they were incapacitated and could only follow simple commands. But I allowed them to play another character. So Caius was there, so they got to play Caius. And then a sphere of annihilation attacks everybody, a la disintegrate. Yeah. Then we came upon the star. I think this one was Bahar who drew it. The star gave us a plus two to the ability score of our choice, uh, up to a maximum of 24 and this is actually just the, the stock star card from 5th edition. I think it works fairly well. And the door opened and they stepped out. The party stepped out into uh, a cliff at night overlooking an infinite ocean during a meteor shower. And just on the other side of the cliff was one more door with another card. And that card was the throne. Calic drew that one. Calic drew it. Yeah. He learned that he had always had a keep. Yes. <laughs> In the faithful starting town of Brazendale. <laughs> yes, indeed. So if you ever use the town of Brazendale, it, it is run in absentia by Lord Calic Delveros. Yeah, and if, if you read the PDF that we put up uh, way back when, like episode two, maybe, something yeah. like that, mm -hmm. and will someday be on the Dungeon Master's Guild as well. Someday soon. In the lore, one of the NPCs in that town is... Lord Calic Delveros, who has not been seen in a long time. <laughs> and the rumor is that he won the title in a high-stakes card game. <laughs> so, full circle on that one. <laughs> All of the rumors are true. Yeah. <laughs> the next card was Fool. Calic drew this one again, actually, because it's if a character had gained a level, then they lose, lose a level. So, he just lost the level that he gained. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, it was like, no, you've had too many good things. You're drawing again. <laughs> I think he was like, I'm on a roll. <laughs> <laughs> and then he drew it's the It's the allure of the deck, right? right. <laughs> what I didn't want to have happen was someone, you know, everyone's level 19, and then you draw the fool, and you just lose a level, and now you're at 18. Like, that just sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So, if... If you hadn't already gained a level, then if you're human, you would have aged 20 years. If you're half-elf, you would have aged 40 years. I think those are the only people that we had in the party. And then Bastion, who is ageless, an ageless warforged, would have lost two to four points of wisdom. Which would have been a pretty serious hindrance for him. That's true. But it could be restored with wish, and we had two players in the party who could cast wish. Wish, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that opened into a hall of mirrors. Uh, I like that. That's a, that's a clever manifestation of fool. The next card was the Vizier. Usually this lets you ask one single question the DM has to answer truthfully. Right. But so much exposition was happening here anyway that I just, what I typically do is just have the Vizier flip all the other cards face forward so you know what you're drawing. Right. So that's what happened. Right. And the next <laughs> card, of course, Ruin. <laughs> right. So then it became an argument about, well, I mean, I think you're due to draw Ruin. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Who has the most to lose? <laughs> uh, least to lose. So once it flipped, I think what happened was you guys were like, Ruin, hold on, hold on. Get naked. Yeah. <laughs> Give us all your stuff and then draw that card. Right. Right. So whoever draws Ruin loses all their non magical possessions. And the card says, including a keep or a title. A title. <laughs> <laughs> And then that room had an anti-magic field. Yeah. Which would have been the ruin of our party, let's be honest. <laughs> the next card, the idiot. I loved that there were a series of negative cards as soon as the vizier flipped. Yeah. So the idiot, you lost two to four intelligence. Or if you were wearing a headband of intellect, it was destroyed and you could never attune to one ever again. I know you didn't pick that. Otherwise, I never would have heard the end of it. Uh, well, hang on. So at this point, I wasn't using a headband of intellect. <laughs> oh, that's true. Often. It was only your simulacrum. Yeah, I had a yeah. simulacrum who was wearing my headband of intellect <laughs> to be me but smarter. <laughs> I had a vizier of my own <laughs> who was just as charming of a devil as I was. Again, the lost intellect could be restored with a wish. So eventually it did get repaired. Inside, there was just a regular fountain, and the party determined that it was a safe spot where they could take a rest, which is good. <laughs> because we had piled up some exhaustion in the earlier. Yes. yes. And the only door out of there was flames. Typically, flames earns the person who draws it the eternal enmity of some sort of 
denizen of the outer planes of high level demon yeah a demon or devil Mm -hmm. and the dmg actually talks about how to use that as sort of this secret that creature or entity should be kind of behind the scenes messing with that player throughout Mm -hmm. and they won't necessarily know that's what's happening you know why do bad things keep happening right and then then you come to find out right right so if you ever do draw a card from the deck of many things and you don't know what it did you're screwed yeah because it's either the rogue or flames (laughs) right remember i was also using the deck as a method of exposition so skull of course there was a battle but it wasn't really them right they learned more information flames ended up being the same way It lets the party interact with a devil or a demon. So when they drew flames, the door opened into a well-appointed room with a roaring fireplace and comfortable chairs and behemoth in a smoking jacket. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Saying, welcome, welcome to my home. I'm so glad we finally get to meet his equals. And I just remember the conversation was like, wait a minute, you live here? (laughs) It's like, where do you think I go inside my cup? (laughs) I'm so glad to be back in the book. The book and I have been separated for so long. Because if you recall, way back in Zendrick, the Drow Queen had the book. The Chalice was uh, with her minions in uh, Stormreach. Right. And, And Behemoth, you learned, had been separated from the book by the Drow Queen and placed in the Chalice. Right. But Behemoth belongs to the book. He is a book imp. It all comes full circle. Ah, yes. Now, of course, all of you want to just kill him because you're like, you owe us a true name. What what did we go through all that for? Except for, I don't know, maybe Bastion, who right now has an intelligence of six. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because we didn't bother wasting a witch. That's right. (laughs) I I think Behemoth first said, oh, right, yeah, you do need his body back. It's in the closet. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Go get it. And he says, well, hold on, please, let's let's have a conversation, i.e. exposition, and explains that he knows what Belshazzar is up to. In fact, he's infiltrated all of the most important aspects of the multiverse. He is working with Arandas Vol, who is the embodiment of the dragon marks of Eberron, and he is inside the silver flame, which is created by the Kuatls, the offspring of Sybaris. And of course, he is of Kyber. He is combining all these aspects of the progenitors because what he really wants to do is create an entirely new world. He wants to destroy everything, all of the planes, and remake them in his own image. A place with no magic and no gods. Just Belshalor. Sounds charming. <laughs> Behemoth, while not a good person says, but I don't want to live there because also I will be destroyed. Right. The book doesn't want to live there. Because its magic is well. (laughs) Yeah. So we've decided to help you out. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And then he speaks a name that makes the party's ears and nose and eyes bleed. And he says, this is Nistrum Shadar's true name. Enzul Oresh, the subtle herald. If you want, you can use it to summon him. I bet he knows Belshalor's true name. And we'll find out what happens next. <laughs> next week. So if that all sounds familiar to people who've been playing the game for a few decades, it's because I got the initial idea from Dungeon Magazine 19 from September, October 1989. There's a module in there called House of Cards by Randy Maxwell, which is just a really well-written module that basically involves using the deck of many things as the keys to a lock in a maze. It's, it's really fascinating. I highly recommend taking a look at it. I changed a great deal of it. It's really just the initial idea, but again, it's really great work. All right, so that's a great example for D&D, but what if you're not playing D&D? Is the deck of many things of any use in those kind of campaigns? I mean, if you're going to adjust the effects of the cards, which honestly I think you should for a campaign, you can make a a deck of some kind that has random effects that you can use in any kind of RPG. I could definitely see this in in, in a White Wolf game. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) Uh, This would also be really good for, like, a strong artifact with crazy psychic phenomena Mm -hmm. in, like, a Warhammer or Warhammer 40K RPG. Anything where magic isn't completely understood or could potentially go awry, I think this would work well. 
Yeah. If you get your party into a situation where like they need the boons of the deck in order to accomplish something and it's worth the the potential drawbacks. Yeah. Um, it, it would also be an interesting kind of like virus in, well, I was initially thinking Shadowrun as a way like deckers are trying to, as they run into this thing, right? Like these random crazy effects start happening to them. Mm. Um, but it actually probably works even better in Eclipse phase because right. then it can affect, affect your <laughs> physical form and not just your sort of Shadowrun deckingness. Yeah. Crazy versions of the Titans and right. yeah, Basilisk hacks. Yeah. Yeah. What about in Savage Worlds or in Deadlands with a Huckster? I, I mean, that would be a really cool deck for the Huckster. Yeah. <laughs> right, like the the final BBEG, like their deck is a deck of many things. Yeah, like he deals he deals you a hand of poker, <laughs> right? But you're actually playing the deck of many things. Like that would be incredible. So okay, let's try and pull one of these. Uh, type of artifacts into our game so w- what do we do how do we how do we build this right well you could use a deck of cards that is associated with different kinds of fantastical effects but that is maybe more appropriate for a setting outside of traditional D fantasy so a normal tarot deck is i think more easily adaptable than the very recognizable deck of many things cards well it's also more easily attainable yeah you (laughs) You can just you can go buy a tarot deck for five bucks right although i will say i made a deck of many things on some sort of website that like prints them on demand yeah yeah of course i I also stole a bunch of art from deviantart i'm not selling them so (laughs) yeah (laughs) you like scoured deviantart for the right it was a cool deck though it was a very cool deck thank you yeah, I, I mean, the Deadlands idea, you would want to use an actual deck of cards, mm-hmm. right? Like a poker deck uh, and just figure out a way to manipulate those cards. Mm-hmm. And there's a very thorough Wikipedia entry for the deck of many things that tells you a lot about what the general effects are that you can then adapt from there. Yeah, it tells you the theme of each card without getting into the mechanics. Right. So it's like you gain a level, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It doesn't tell you like a certain number of XP or like it doesn't tell you you gain an ability score increase. It's just like you become smarter, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, so I would use those two things as sort of your your inspiration and then try and tie the powers into the system that you're using. Mm-hmm. So figure out, right, based on that general description of the Wikipedia entry, how do I model that in this system, right? So an ability score increase, for example, in fifth edition might be like, gaining a die in one of your stats in savage worlds right and this is an opportunity to use a bit of that system master you've got and offer things that are impossible or very difficult for a pc to get otherwise through normal leveling or something like that oh man d20 and an ability score (laughs) (laughs) yeah or like a sixth dot in a world of darkness game I don't know what that means, but I think it sounds awesome. You're only allowed to have five. Yeah, the deck of many things by its nature breaks the rules. So go ahead and break the rules. Right. It's probably going to end your campaign anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Push it to the end. Right. My players were level 19. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And most of these things are, uh, it can be fixed with a wish. Well, they got two a day. So. Yep. Uh, And then I think doing the same thing that you did which is tie the deck into your story so that you can you can tie the effects of the cards into the plot that you already have going, right? Like the skull card being tied to the blood of vol, the flames card being tied to the devil who had sent us in there, mm-hmm. right? Like I, those little touches really help bring it home instead of oh, it's a random deck of cards on the table and it offers you a bargain, right? It'll make it harder for your players to walk away. Right. Yeah, if that virus is actually a powerful artificial intelligence you know like maybe your decker doesn't just you know disconnect right or maybe they can't well yeah (laughs) all right do you hear that Ishan? uh i am apparently locked in the donjon could you let me out i will let you out but only because it's time to move on to the character creation forge so before we do that 
let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, very fittingly, we have the Gambler. That's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> <laughs> they tempt fate. Yep. Uh, even when you know the odds aren't in your favor, you always find a way to win. It's like they're using or bending the luck to their own will. Right. So in our case, in 5th edition, it's all about manipulating die rolls after you see them. So it's not about gaining advantage or disadvantage. It's about re-rolling dice, pre-rolling dice, or adding and subtracting dice to the roll. Yeah, and there are actually quite a lot of things that do this in 5th edition. So for race, let's go halfling. Yeah, because you, you get lucky, so <laughs> you can re-roll once. Always. Yep. And then this build, this is a... This is a real piece of work here. Yeah, I'd say so. Bard 3, Fiend Warlock 9, Wild Magic Sorcerer 6, Divination Wizard 2. You may notice that we're basically just going for all of the die manipulation abilities. Right, and and so we could start with the Fiend Warlock. The reason we have that in there is Dark One's own luck at level 6 is once per short rest you can add a d10 to an ability check or save. But the Warlock keys off of Eldritch Blast. That's its main damage output. And being a level 9 Warlock, you have enough incantations to make your Eldritch Blast fully effective. And it's a cantrip, so it scales off your character level. So if all else fails, you can just shoot it with Eldritch Blast. Yeah, which there are a lot of Warlock archetypes that just do that anyway. Right. So at least you'll be combat effective. That's your baseline competency, right? It also gives you some cool stuff because you have four invocations. You use two of them to buff your Eldritch Blast, but you get things like Devil's Sight, which keeps uh, the loser from blinding the room with like a smoke bomb kind of deal. You know, drop drop darkness and run away with the pot. Or make sure that you can do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> or Eldritch Sight, which would uh, detect any magical cheating. Uh, Mask of Many Faces gives you the face of someone who's got a great poker face as opposed to you. Right. <laughs> or, you know, maybe someone who has a lousy poker face and you can cheat your tells. And Thief of Five Fates, you can cast Bane on someone else, which is going to make them much worse at the game. Right. Though that one is a little unsporting, if you ask me. <laughs> we uh, made the cheater, not the gambler. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so then you got Bard 3. Uh, that will be the lore bard. Uh, that gives you expertise. Now... You should take the gambler set, but I would say you, you could get by with just deception and insight so you can read people at the table and, of course, lie to them. Why are we not taking Rogue One to, for expertise? Why all the way to Bard 3? Well, Bard 3 gives you cutting words, which lets you use a bardic inspiration to reduce an attack roll, ability check, or damage. The thing I love about this is so you can be playing cards and you literally make them worse at gambling by insulting them. Right. <laughs> yeah, you just unnerve them at the table. Yeah. I also like that at second level you get jack of all trades, which means you're good at everything, even if you don't have proficiency, which means you can pick up a game that you've never played before and hustle. Right. And that's that's why I wouldn't take the gambler set, is because you're already getting half your proficiency bonus from jack of all trades. Mm -hmm. So you don't actually have to be good at the game. You're good at playing the man. Wild Magic Sorcerer, of course, is in there because, well, we want a little actual gambling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're literally gambling with your life sometimes. <laughs> you never know when the dice are going to come up fireball. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Magic Surge is, of course, a constant risk uh, because the DM gets to decide when you roll that. And some of those effects can be quite nasty. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you get things like Tides of Chaos to give yourself advantage and then Ben Lock to funnel those sorcery points into bonuses for you or penalties to other people. Right, that will spend two sorcery points and add a uh, d4 as a bonus or penalty to a roll. And then we've talked about this before, but two levels of Divination Wizard gives you Portent, which is just amazing for pre-rolling 2d20s that you can use any time in the day for yourself or someone else. 
you're in good shape. <laughs> you know, you know what cards are coming up in one hand, in two hands actually. Yeah, per day. Per day, for sure. Maybe in the morning you actually used not a tarot deck, but your actual deck of playing cards and laid them out and told your own fortune. Right, or you just had that card up your sleeve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, for feats, lucky. Yeah, uh, you know, if all else fails, just re-roll. So mediocre combat effectiveness but is going to be very very difficult to affect right and always going to be making sure that when it counts the effect gets through yeah and i think actually a really great support character yeah i mean definitely like a party buff type character except when they kill everybody with a fireball yeah i might play this character actually works in dark sun (laughs) i might play this character in dark sun (laughs) oh my god and then you can defile too I don't want to do that. <laughs> we'll have to kill you. Right. Immediately. <laughs> right. If we can. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> you know I'm passing that save. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ishan, what's your character's backstory? It's basically Matt Coffin from The Wheel of Time, right? He hears dice in his head. Things shift around him to make things go his way. He has the luck of the dice. Now, this works in, you know, traditional fantasy as someone who uh, has grown up and has just always been lucky, right? They're a halfling. They're happy-go-lucky. They're, they tend to be a lucky kind of race to begin with. But things just go better for them than normal. And I wouldn't play any of these uh, mechanical abilities as conscious. Uh, they mm. would all be things that just happen that they, they don't even expect or, you know, they're really worried. But then, you know, at the last second, the, the arrow misses them. Yeah, strangely, it's, it's like touched by fate. Yeah, exactly. And then I would say later on in their arc, uh, she realizes that she is, in fact, an avatar of, you know, in the Forgotten Realms, Timora, Lady Luck. You know, mm. she is uh, chosen by whatever deity controls luck or the fates in this setting. I like that. Some of the abilities require a reaction, which would just be panic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) but it works. (laughs) All right, what about your gambler? So my gambler began as a very mediocre bard. I love that. Yeah, not trained in performance because I don't have I don't have room to waste (laughs) on those skills those skill slots. Great at reading people, not so good at singing. Exactly. Found out he was better at gambling and making money off of the patrons than he was playing for their charity. He eventually gets into a high-stakes game and bets much more than he's worth. To make it out of town alive, he has to make an unholy bargain. And that's how we get fiend backed. <laughs> uh, so he makes a bet with the devil, Fel Helmuth. That's Phil Helmuth, the World Poker Tour player. I'm going to trust you on that one. Uh, don't act like I didn't Google professional poker players and find <laughs> the one who sounded the most like a like demon. A demon. <laughs> In exchange for tapping some of Fel Helmuth's power as a mortal, upon his death, he must play a single hand for his immortal soul. Of course, Fel Helmuth has been so kind as to provide uh, an imp to aid in his travels and, you know, keep an eye out for the gambler's untimely demise. You know, as a GM, I would look at this backstory and be like, this is really a front story because you want this to happen later in your career. Yeah. That's annoying. But then I would say, but it's good. Yeah. Start at level four. (laughs) (laughs) just go ahead and start this character level four so you're a level three bard and a level one warlock and just move on really in 5e try to start at level four yeah i mean (laughs) it's how my character got to level 20 all right (laughs) (laughs) all right if you want to support the show the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on itunes if you're willing to help us out we'll read your five-star review on the air you can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. And you can also find us on Google Play. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're continuing our series on playable races, and we're talking about half-orcs. And in the character creation forge, we're building a drunken master. Well, that's it for episode 61 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.